Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Denefsky, and today I spoke with Titus Siango, the Executive Director of Teaching at the Right Level Africa. Teaching at the Right Level Africa is a nonprofit focused on strengthening children's foundational literacy and numeracy skills through an evidence based approach. In today's episode, Titus and I discussed how his background led him to teaching at the Right Level Africa how the organization invests in innovation to improve effectiveness of children's foundation skills acquisition, and much more. I hope hearing the great work of Teaching at the Right Level Africa will encourage you to get involved. Welcome to Charity Talks. Today I'm speaking with Titus Siango, the Executive Director of Teaching at the Right Level Africa. Titus, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Brooke, for having me. It's a great pleasure to speak with you today. So to start, can you just tell us about your background and how you came to Teaching at the Right Level Africa? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, actually. So um, I actually hadn't heard about Teaching at the Right Level Africa, but a recruiter who looked at my profile thought that it fitted what what they were looking for. At that at that time, I was working for a health organization called Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation, and um, so they basically reached out and we talked. And well, what excited me about the role was um, two things actually that my my life resonated very well with the kind of work that uh, teaching at the right level does. Uh, that's number one, and I will give more details about that shortly. And number two was the evidence, um, the, the inclination towards evidence that the uh, teaching at the right level um, approach is based on and the fact that it works. I, in health, you know, evidence is the main, you know, um, criteria used for decision making um, in education was much less so, but I see more uh, commitment now towards evidence um, than before. So my my life, I can tell you, uh, was that I, I didn't go to school until I was nine years old. I was looking after my dad's cows, and um, so he found me sobbing under a tree in the, in the hills of my village. I come from a very very remote village where, I mean, that time electricity was not known or anything. It was just a bushy area yeah. uh, for people who keep cattle. So uh, I was so being under a tree and he found me uh, uh, that way and he said, why are you crying? And I said, it's because all children my age are in school. I'm about the only one uh, looking after cattle. I'm not even sure that I'll go to school and, you know, he said, you know, when he came home, he said, this this guy has to go to school. At nine, I had already missed the, you know, the pre-primary because that was basically too late. So I joined uh, grade one and found children that, you know, because they'd gone through pre-primary, they were pretty much adv advanced. And then I didn't learn quickly until I was up to grade four is when I learned to to read, right? And that really changed my life. Um, and why I learned to read is uh, two young teachers who came and 
were just different in the way they taught and taught an interest in me and you know took me aside and would ask me many questions as a result i developed um a keen interest in 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 reading and um, i think i'm a typical uh, i was like a typical child that would be the focus of today's style program people that are not have not learned to read or do basic um math uh, by grade four in fact by the time i learned i was already 12 past what you know uh, the, the target group that we have but still within that target group i i feel like i'm that child that that uh, that child focuses on i definitely of course because of um uh, learning to read and independent study for me made all the difference because I started reading on my own, right? Every book I found, I took and went with it to the, you know, as I looked after cows, I would have a book that I'm reading. So I have more time with books than probably with the animals and with more, more than other other children. So I, 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 you know, because of what I've gone through, I, I I have a passion for development work because I know what difference it makes if you just change one child at a time. In education, in health, in many other things, but particularly in education, it affects all the other facets of life, right? Health, social life, uh, political life, you know, political engagement, economic opportunities, all that is affected by just um, education among others, of course, yeah. Yeah, it's great that you are doing this work to give back, and we'll definitely get more into the details soon. But to really expand on just the basic premise of the organization, what is Teaching at the Right Level Africa's mission? Our mission is to ensure that, you know, all children um, develop foundational skills um, for their own future, and that the foundational skills we speak about is literacy and numeracy, basically, foundational numeracy and, and, and literacy. So, so our aim is to make sure that all children in Africa acquire those skills um, while in primary school so that they can take advantage of the very ambitious curriculum that, that uh, ministries of education set up for their own children. So that's what, what we are doing. And we, we do it with others, of course, but that's, that's our mission, basically. Yeah. yeah, and could you tell us about the organization's holistic approach to improving these skills? Yes, so Tal Africa, um, um, first of all, as, as I say, the focus is to ensure that all children learn regardless of age or grade because the the curriculums that are there, as I said, they are very ambitious and they, they, they progress through the grades and they become more complex. So children who get left behind, therefore, do not catch up because at grade three, which is the focus of our Tal program, we start from kids in grade three all the way up to five, sometimes six. Uh, and what we do is that we we do a simple assessment, which is one-on-one. -on -one. So group all the, we put all these kids together, give them similar tests for basic, you know, assessment tests for one-on-one, -on -one, for math, basic math and basic literacy, preferably in local language, right? But we are seeing differences in Africa, but preferably in local languages. And then once we assess one-on-one, -on -one, we group them according to the level at which they are, right? So for example, literacy, you start with a beginner and a beginner is somebody who cannot, you know, tell 
a sound or a letter or a syllable if you're speaking about local languages. They can't tell if you write for them as a letter, they will not tell what that letter is. That's a beginner. Then there are those who can identify a word. They are at word level or, or maybe um, letter level, letter and word. And there are those that can read a paragraph and those who can read a story with comprehension. So those, those are the levels. You would put those kids into... For math, it's the same. It's, it's um, number recognition of digits one to three. It is um, um, operations like addition, subtraction, and division and multiplication, those levels. So once you do that assessment, one-on-one -on -one helps you to understand the child. You see what they are struggling with as they do the, as they are doing the, you know, the questions that you, you give them. And then after that, now you just create them and say this child is in in this level and that level. And then we administer, we support um, the teachers, uh, mainly teachers of public schools is what we work with, to then uh, facilitate engaging activities that are appropriate for each level. So I think, you know, as you know, you'd be wasting time to teach a story to a child who is at beginner level which is what the curriculum does, right? The curriculum at grade three is academic and very ambitious. But this child who is not like me, who was not able to read by uh, grade four, you really, you're really there feeling bored and people mm -hmm. wasting your time, right? But if you just focus on what they need and your aim is to move them to the next level, you have a higher chance of success with that child. And the ones in word, you want to get them to read a, a paragraph. And the ones in paragraph, you want to get them to read a story. So it's very targeted instruction um, and facilitation for those groups. And, and you find that it's accelerated learning program because they learn very quickly because you're really scratching where they're itching, right? You're not just <laughs> taking a textbook or... Um... So we, we support ministries of education to then set aside time for that kind of uh, learning because the, the you find that in Africa, nine out of two, 10 children are not able to read a, a story, a, you know, a story of 150 words with understanding. Nine out of 10 is a disaster, right? So if only ministries of education can set aside and help these children, then they can take advantage of the curriculum. And even later, academic progress is possible because now they can they can understand. Otherwise, the systems that are there just focus on um, the, the kids who are at the top and the teachers continue with the syllabus and the textbook and therefore leave quite a massive number of children behind. Our aim is to make sure that all, all these children are taking advantage of the curriculum. So if the ministry in terms of, so at, at that level, classroom level, that's what we do. At the systems level, we try to support governments to reorient their, 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 their system so that um, they can focus more on learning, right? Effective learning, not the kind of learning that focuses on only a few children. Effective learning for every child. So that, um, so that then the, the, there is a set aside time in the school day, just for ensuring that these children acquire those skills. Because you can't stop the curriculum is is going on. So if you can't do that, you must find a way then to still help these children, and then ensure that those um, that the school system actually collects data, does these kind of assessments that are action.
uh, oriented, not the, the the assessments that many of the education systems do are actually for placement. You want to know can this be placed at this level, and sometimes just to see the smart kids, right? But the aim should be to take action on the need of the child. So if the system can, all assessments can be focused on action, and that there's there's an alignment by the ministry that FLN or foundational literacy and, and numeracy is a very important um, um, component of learning. I think if so that if we if we can do that for all ministries, I think it will solve a lot of challenges that we are seeing in education in Africa, but I believe also in other parts of the world. Yeah, and you mentioned yeah. before that teaching at the right level works with teachers at public schools typically. So I'd love to hear more about you know, the different locations in which your organization works and more about who you work with. Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good question because we I mentioned um, public schools and the reason that we are focusing on public schools is basically because the majority of children who go through education go through public schools. Okay, I don't know what percent, but it's close to 100% or 90%, okay, in most, in most schools. And also, the children who are most, most, most likely to not catch up are those that are from poor backgrounds, and those would not go to private schools, right? They would go to, to public schools. So when we came to Africa, our focus was to work with government systems and to support other partners that are working at scale with gov in government systems. But we also know that there are other partners who only work at community level and they are not at the public school system. So those also we support, um, but as Tal Africa itself for ourselves, we we focus mainly on, on public school um, programs and support especially partners who are, who are working at scale in public school uh, programs. And that's why we've been able to reach that, the number of children, over 4 million children we've reached wow. because those are majority are in public schools. Now, we so we work with those kind of organizations, but we also don't want to leave behind those that are supporting at community level. Now, we so we, we work in, um, in several countries right now. Who we work with mainly is government, Ministries of Education, Astal Africa, in three countries where we're working very deeply with those with those governments, and that is the government of um, Zambia, um, Cote d'Ivoire, and Nigeria, from state to state, because Nigeria, as you may know, is a is a large country with states that are the size of some African countries. So for for that reason, we work from state to state, and education is much evolved. So. Uh, it makes sense to work because the national government, while it has policy mandate, a lot of decisions are made at, at state level. So we work at those countries deeply, but our partners who also work with government, sometimes with other uh, non-government uh, or community level, are working in several other countries. I mean, if, you, if I can enumerate them, it's uh, Madagascar, South Africa, Namibia, uh, Botswana, Uganda, Tanzania, um, and then um, Cameroon, uh, Guinea, Niger, 
uh, Ghana, I said Ghana, and then Nigeria also has some community, some none. Is is we depend, we implement deeply, but we also have partners that are doing the same, uh, and of course uh, Cote d'Ivoire. So several countries, about um, thirteen countries, that we're implementing the approach uh, at least for now, and they keep growing, right? So uh, likely to grow to be even more than that in a in a in a very short short period of time. Great. And I know another aspect of your work is really that it's research supported. And so I'd love if you can share any case studies showing how your organization's programs have been designed and applied. Uh, yeah. So how we design and apply the program, if I can start with uh, Zambia. In in Zambia, um, which started before Tal Africa as it, as it is today, was basically started by Jepal and Pratham. Now, uh, J-PAL was scouting using their, um, they had connections with the Ministry of Health, and they knew that there's this groundbreaking innovation in education that has been, has a lot of evidence that it works. And so they, they went to the Ministry of Education in Zambia, and they found a hook, right, a hook that could make it work. So when I spoke about alignment, it's very important that governments do recognize the need for FLN, for, for it to work, because then it, they own that problem. So uh, they realized that in Zamb- uh, Ministry of Education in Zambia had gone to schools and they found one teacher who was kind of running a catch-up in, the, in their class. So they were receiving children in grade eight. They assessed them and then they grouped them and they ensure that they are catching up with the other kids that are more advanced. So when they saw that, they came to the headquarters and, um, you know, made a circular that they shared with the whole, you know, public school system, said, please do catch up, right? So the policy statement was there, but there was no guidance on how to do it. So when they went, they said, look, there's evidence of a number of programs. And here they are. You can choose which one you want to choose. And so because of that alignment, in fact, the program they still call catch up, which which was the ministry's name. It's not called Tal, call it catch up. So so th- when you see that kind of alignment, then it's easy to come to a government and say, let's now look at how we can design a program. So you start with sensitization at the top level about the program, uh, the government. Uh, accepts or says we will do it because we see the need and let's let's start. Usually we start with a pilot, and I think in Zambia they started with a pilot of um, like eighty schools, um, scaled it down up to today. I think we are uh, in about over half of the schools in the in the country, mm-hmm. and um, in in like uh, seven or eight of the provinces, and expect by twenty twenty seven that we will have scaled. Uh, through the whole country, at least to reach about 80% of learners. Uh, currently, we're reaching about uh, 550,000 uh, 550, learners. So we expect that in the future it will scale um, to a large uh, extent. Uh, so we support they are the Ministry of Education with our partners like uh, VVOP and uh, UNICEF so that we can continue to scale the program. So that's one case study. Based on the need that was identified by government, we went and shared the experience, the innovation that had evidence that it works, 
the government thought they should try it. They have piloted it. They've seen it works, and now they are scaling it um, in the whole country. Yeah. yeah, I know that the organization tracks and tests the impact it makes, and you just shared some really great information. But is there any other, I guess, metrics or ways to discuss the overall impact that you've made? Yeah, so uh, as I said, we we've reached about four, uh, over four million children uh, with significant learning outcomes. And I, I can say that the, the, the outcomes are different for different countries, but we are seeing a percent point improvement uh, of 15 to 37 percent uh, of children improving to the next level, right? So percent point improvement of 15 to 37 uh, percent. And if I look at, I went to uh, Zambia uh, just the other day, and I was trying to look at now comparing the uh, literacy levels of countries and in Africa and looking at just just in a classroom, right? This is not scientific, but in a classroom, I'll count the children who can read a paragraph and a story. And I find there are over 70% of children. I have great hope that this program could raise that up to 80% by the time someone is, we are at grade five or something like that. So. So yeah, so I saw I saw that myself in the classroom, uh, just as anecdotal evidence that the program uh, is is gaining a lot of uh, um, is 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 uh, contributing to great outcomes. Yeah, clearly yeah. very impressive. And I know something else I found interesting was the learning agenda that you have. And so, can you tell us a little bit about the program's learning agenda that is driving such a huge effort for innovation forward? Yeah, yeah. So we we developed first of all we developed a learning agenda in um, twenty eighteen that because of COVID and other things has had to you know, morph or over change to be something else. But but as you know, I mean, the, the, when you have a, an evidence-based innovation, what you want to know is what are the processes that make it work, right? Make adoption work or make, um, um, how, how do I put it? Make it be uptake, you know, how do you increase uptake? Of, a, of an evidence-based program. So we do mainly uh, implementation science research, which is to find out what factors make it be, uh, increase the uptake of the, the program. And so our, our, our questions right now are about, you know, teacher motivations, what motivates teachers to make the program work, right? It is about factors that make, make um, uh, the factors in the implementation that make teachers change their behavior to implement TAL-like uh, activities, right? And not any other uh, TAL activity, because TAL-like activities are play-based. It is fun activities, children are having fun, they sit around like in a circle. So how do you change the teacher behavior to be like that? And then um, how about you just scale? As we scale, there are lessons we are learning, right? What are those lessons that make it work at scale? What does not? What are the factors that make it not work so well? What are the factors that ensure that now we are going to the level where we have to institutionalize? That means that, for example, that when we leave the program runs without us, what are the factors that would make it be institutionalized and embedded into government systems? So those are the questions of learning that we are um, we are we are we have 
in our minds. Um, so, so teacher behavior is big and, and such things as well, because that is where the, the biggest, and then policy making as well. Are there some policies that would need to be made to make this program work or would it work even without, without policies? So, yeah. And we talked a lot about the research component of your work. So I was wondering if you have any stories to share about how teaching at the right level has helped either a particular person or a community. Yeah, yeah. So there's, um, for example, there's, um, there's a child that for me sticks in my head because I, I see myself in that child, right? At, at, at the age that, that that child is. So this child is called Mustafa. In a, in a school in um, in Kano in Nigeria. And the child, he was struggling with, you know, he's now in grade five. But before then, at the beginning, he was struggling with, he was at what we call the beginner. So could not recognize a letter or syllables, for example, so that they can read and could not do uh, simple uh, or recognize numbers, right? And was getting bored in school and not 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 picking up. And then his, his school was chosen for, for TAL programs. And and within a very short time, that child was able to pick up, you know, left behind for a long time, not able to read by grade three. But now that child um, uh, picked, you know, uh, skills on, on reading, is able to read today, is able to uh, to do arithmetic, actually using it for just practical life situations. Like when he's sent to the shop, he, he doesn't, you know, he knows what change is expected, right? So, and then he has learned to read and is even helping his younger brother who has not gone to school because he's saying the things I'm doing in school are very in class, in at home. The materials I'm given and the, the the games I'm doing are so exciting that my little brother is also getting excited about it and he's teaching his own brother. He's been an inspiration to the school. Uh, actually, overall, to just just jump by the, the, the dint of what he has learned and what he's doing also with his family, I, I think that's an inspirational story that, to me, reflects um, a situation such as mine. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. It really shows how a single individual can have an impact on even more people, and so I think it's really amazing yeah, yeah, work. Yeah. And Absolutely. I'd also, I'd also love to know, you know, how can those who want to help us do so? So first of all, there are many who need to help us. <laughs> One of the most important is ministries of education. I think I think the alignment, the need to see, the need to see that um, that FLN foundational literacy and numeracy is important for children. They need to see that pe people like me, who was went to school late, didn't la learn to read until grade four, they still have a chance. I think that that's important so that school governments focus on quality of education because a lot of times politicians focus on infrastructure. Infrastructure is what sells, right? Is what sells the politician. They're able to show tangibles, but they don't, they, many of them are not, you know, prioritizing on quality of education. That's a critical piece. I mean, I went to school when we studied under the tree, but we still did okay, right? So, I think I think that um, I think that we emphasize things that actually, um, if we emphasize on qualities, to, to be more important. So that's one. The other one is there are people that may want to contribute to us on our, you know, on the homepage of our website when you go to teachingattherightlevelafrica.org. 
and scroll to the bottom, there's a donate button there for donors or people that want to contribute to our work to to give, you know, anything, anything they have there. Great. And lastly, is there anything else that you'd like to add that we might not have covered or even just reiterate? Yeah, I, th- I think that the, um, the focus on evidence in education, I think, has been uh, limited um, as, as opposed to other sectors like health or even even, I mean, environment, hard sciences, right? They focus a lot of, on evidence. I think I, I'm seeing uh, there are a lot of problems. As a development work, I've done a lot of work that um, did not have e- evidence until uh, about, you know, about um, 12 years ago. No, actually. 12 years ago is when I got to know how, when you implement evidence-based program, you know, it is so easy to show impact. It is so easy. You don't waste a lot of time or resources because the program works. And if there's no evidence, trying to find evidence quickly so that you don't spend too much resources on things that don't work. And then the commitment to that evidence, I, I'm gratified now there's a, a group um, called um, uh, global education evidence advisory um, um, you know panel that that looks at uh, programs that work uh, and I think that that's the direction that education uh, global education should take where they focus on evidence-based programs or at least innovations that will you're trying to find if there's evidence that that for me is is critical if education uh, programs are to be effective yeah Amazing. Well, I see we're about to be kicked off of Zoom, it looks like, but, you know, we went through everything. And again, I appreciate you being here. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you very much.